I think misinformation is partly the result of our desire for things to be simple, and the majority of health news really isn't simple. Thank you for joining us for another episode of FYI, the Public Library's podcast. I'm Kathleen Hughes, Manager of Publications for the Public Library Association. This episode is brought to you by Unique Management Services. Unique is the worldwide leader in material recovery for libraries with a proven track record of professional and effective communication with library patrons. Unique also offers inbound phone and live chat coverage for public libraries. Are incoming phone calls creating an operational and customer service challenge for your library? Are the communication options on your website inconvenient for online patrons and limited to library hours? Unique solves these problems with phone and chat coverage that make virtual services snap for patrons. From renewing items to downloading ebooks to reserving meeting rooms, Unique offers flexible service formats to keep patrons engaged and active and give library staff more time for in house patrons and key job tasks. Unique patron service solutions virtual service solved. Visit librarycalls.com to learn more and schedule your free demo. That's librarycalls.com. Today we are going to talk about consumer health services and in particular evaluating health news with our guests Carolyn Martin and Sally James. Carolyn Martin is a librarian who is the consumer health coordinator for the National Network of Libraries of Medicine, Pacific Northwest Region, located at the University of Washington Health Sciences Library. She does outreach to public libraries and community organizations to provide information and resources to help improve the health of the communities they serve. Sally James reads health news critically and gives grades to stories and news releases as part of a team at the nonprofit Health News Review. She also writes about medical research and other science as a freelancer from Seattle. Carolyn and Sally, welcome. Why don't we start with you both telling us a little bit about yourselves and your backgrounds and how you came to work in this topic. This is Sally. I was a newspaper reporter for quite a few years, writing about a lot of subjects, but finally about medicine and medical research. About five years ago, I heard about Health News Review, and I started doing reviews for them. They're a nonprofit that critiques health news. We give grades. We do almost like a, a very, very technical 10-point grade for every story we read. It's given me quite an education in, in how to read health news. And Carolyn, did you want to give a little bit about your background? I was a hospital librarian for um, over 20 years and also worked in a public library for a short time. Uh, our hospital library served not just uh, healthcare professionals, but also patients and other people in the community would come and use our services as well. And then I made a job switch to the National Network of Libraries of Medicine, and as the consumer health coordinator here, I have really enjoyed working with different organizations. And this class that the National Network has uh, called Health Issues in the Headlines, Learning to Read Between the Lines, was created by a colleague of mine. And we offer that about once a year, and it's free, and it's a way to learn more about health news and how to understand it better. We could start with a little bit of background on the topic. Maybe you could talk a little bit about what is health news and what are the varieties of health news. I think of celebrities right away. Mm -hmm. I also think of all the academic medicine that's going on at all the universities across the country. And... A lot of what we read in the New York Times or Time Magazine is the result of a new study that was just published in the New England Journal 
and then a reporter writes about that study in a way that they hope is digestible for the public. A study that some people did last year counted how many stories appeared on Facebook about the Zika virus. The majority of what this study found, 80%, were from credible sources. But the majority of hits were on a few videos that were very incredible. So there's a lot of health news out there and how people take it up and, and what things people pay attention to is, I think, less easy to to answer. What areas are most likely to be misreported and where is the most misinformation found? To begin that, you you say claims of value. Being in the sauna prevents heart disease. When I read one of these critically, I'm reading down to the seventh or eighth paragraph where it says the study was done on 25 men in Finland who had a sauna twice a week. That's not very many people to study. How many people can afford to go to the sauna twice a week? So it may be that the reason it reduced their risk of heart disease is because they were really healthy, rich people to start with. Claims of value are the kinds of things that Health News Review examine. I also have the shiny new things category. We report about what's new. And it may be that um, it's a new drug, a new kind of therapy, a new device. The headline may say, new MRI is twice as effective. And you read and read and read and you find out that maybe MRI in general for whatever this is finds, you know, one out of 10,000 and that the new MRI finds one and a half out of 10,000. That's not a huge difference. (laughs) I think misinformation is partly the result of our desire for things to be simple. And the majority of health news really isn't simple. And then that relates to the use of sensational language. How can librarians best show patrons to be wary that something is being sensationalized to to grab your attention? Or The founder of Health News Review created the seven words you shouldn't use in medical reporting are cure, miracle, breakthrough, promising, dramatic, hope, and victim. When you see those words, you should immediately say, too good to be true. I would also say that words like, uh, especially in the headline, might or may, could, uh, some people take that as meaning that everyone or all the time. Those are not necessarily conclusive terms to be used. What sometimes happens is what I call mistakes of scale. A lot of reporting makes Zika seem very dangerous. In terms of the United States, obesity is damaging more people's health, but not as exciting to read about. The human mind wants drama. So, you know, we we kind of get what we want with news coverage. Sometimes when you're watching late night TV, there'll be like weird commercials for cure-alls, a new pill that's going to help you lose weight for like 10 minutes. How can librarians combat that kind of thing? We have different uh, websites and places that people can go to learn about how to evaluate any news, whether it's online or print. PubMed Health has a is a National Library of Medicine resource, and they have a section called Understanding Clinical Effectiveness. And within that, there is a section called How to Read Health News from 
the National Health uh, Services from England, and they have such um, things for people to consider when hearing or reading or seeing uh, these kinds of claims. Such things as does uh, the article or the infomercial support its claims with scientific research? Um, is it based on a conference abstract? Is the research done in humans? Who is behind the claim in the study? Who is behind is a really fabulous message that a lot of people can understand. If the message about, you know, get this alarm system and no one will ever come to your house again, they're selling you an alarm. So do you believe them? At Health News Review, we have a toolkit for how to look at a healthcare claim. Many times when something new is being sold or described in a, in a story, they don't tell you that already there's an existing therapy that works pretty darn well. Also starting to think a little bit about pharmaceutical ads and commercials that have been vetted and tested and the, the products actually do work. There's something weird about the way they're using commercials to try to get you to ask your doctor. In Europe, those ads are not allowed. Our physicians just hated those because people would come in and demand uh, they wanted the purple pill, for example, but they didn't even know what the purple pill was for. Like you said before, the pharmaceutical companies are just trying to sell you this product or to get you to get your doctor to prescribe it to you. For an example of what's difficult, again, health is not usually simple. So the definition, what makes something a disease, is a, is a kind of political and financial issue. So if you're a pharmaceutical company and you sell a drug that lowers blood pressure, you would like everyone to have high blood pressure, wouldn't you? And the actual <laughs> definition of what is high blood pressure is something that physicians can disagree about. And that's where misinformation can get into public policy, is the question of how we define health and how we define disease. So the pharmaceutical company who succeeds in making people afraid of a number can sell more medicine. With all of this kind of misinformation and sensationalism that's out there, how can librarians best provide consumer health information? A great resource to use is Medline Plus. And what's great about Medline Plus is that there is strict criteria that has to be uh, adhered to before a website is included into the resource because Medline Plus doesn't create the information. They gather it and organize it. So it's always good to have information not just from one place all the time. And so to know that you have information that is from a medical association as well as from some place like the CDC to knowing that that's quality health information and it's authoritative. I call Medline Plus the Costco of health information because there's drug information, supplement information. There are videos about understanding medical terms and um, evaluating health information. So there's lots of tools there to use. Library staff can become educated by looking through that as well as recommending and using it in their library services and programs. They can use it for social media as well. So when the, the community hears about, say, uh, a measles outbreak, they can provide links and information from uh, Medline Plus or some other trusted resources just to give people an understanding of what measles is or what kind of immunizations people might need 
these kinds of things um, that can be very helpful for the community. For example, this year with the flu being so terrible, do you think that libraries should be proactive? They could, very much. The CDC uh, has great resources. Even though you may think of it as a professional uh, resource for people to go to, there's lots of information there for the public, information about who should get the flu shot, for instance. I know that can be a controversial thing for some individuals, and this is a place that would provide information about who should or who should not get one and why it may or may not be important to get it. They have information about symptoms such as, you know, is it the cold or the flu? Uh, there's lots of things there that can be very helpful for people. I know you already mentioned Medline Plus and Health News Review, but what are some other core reference materials librarians can refer to or should be consulting? The National Center for Complementary and Integrative Health and they have um, a section called Know the Science. And this is all freely accessible, uh, not just to librarians and library staff, but to the public as well. And they have interactive modules, such as Know the Science, the Facts About Health News Stories, Nine Questions to Help Make Sense of Health Research, those kinds of things that might be helpful. And even though that is uh, centered on complementary and integrative health, those could also be applied for all kinds of uh, other topics as well. The PubMed Health Resource by the National Library of Medicine is another great one. They have a section called Understanding Clinical Effectiveness, a way for public to understand such things as how do researchers get from an idea to proof of clinical effectiveness, what is a systematic review, because when you get news headlines, a lot of times they're referring to a study that has been done. And so if people want to understand that study and uh, some of those terms, this is a place to understand uh, such things as systematic review. And then there's also free online books that they have, such as Understanding Health Statistics, so you know your chances, and Making Sense of Health Advice. So there, those resources are all free. Patrons can be uh, led to these. They could look up the health condition in Medline Plus and there they can find information about the diagnosis, the research, the treatment, and other topics associated with it. So just learning about the disease first before thinking about, well, what can I do to take care of it uh, might be helpful. When you're dealing with consumers, we, we try to teach financial literacy so people won't Get, take out bad loans or misunderstand credit. And I think with health such an enormous financial burden to most, to most people, that teaching health literacy really directly is a, f a fabulous use of library time. Even just getting across the notion that doctors can disagree and that there's nuance is a powerful thing for people to realize. So there's more than one opinion. You're going to have to decide which of the people that have different opinions about it that you believe, that it isn't binary. I think that's a, a really great beginning point. And also encouraging people to become engaged in their health, that it's okay to ask questions or to say um, there's the Choosing Wisely campaign that encourages people to stop and ask questions. Uh, there's even a little card called, say, whoa, to your doctor. And there's five questions to ask because, like Sally was saying, there could be 
financial cost uh, involved that people need to be aware of and you know what happens if I don't follow through with this and what you know why is this important and what happens if I don't do it you know these are things that people need to think about and they have the the right to ask and they should ask these questions any further thoughts a gentleman named Timothy Caulfield who's a medical researcher in Canada wrote a book that's about this overall topic. The book is called, Is Gwyneth Paltrow Wrong About Everything? He's talking about exactly what we're talking about, but he, he just has, like, the timing of a stand-up comedian. Here at the National Network of Libraries of Medicine, we have lots of free webinars and classes for people to take, and many of our webinars are recorded, but they cover topics such as maybe health news or other kinds of health topics that public libraries may find useful and that they can also, you know, incorporate in their programs or services uh, as a way to keep their, you know, communities updated about what is happening and how they can encourage engage health engagement and increase health literacy. I would like to thank you both for joining us today for sharing this great information and sharing your time with us. Again, our guests were Carolyn Martin librarian and consumer health coordinator for the National Network of Libraries of Medicine, and Sally James, writer at the Health News Review. This podcast is part of the Public Library Association's Promoting Healthy Communities Initiative, which is a partnership between PLA and the National Network of Libraries of Medicine to increase the knowledge and skills of public librarians related to consumer health services. Visit www.pla.org to get more information. Thanks again to our sponsor, Unique Management Services, offering inbound phone and chat coverage to help libraries deliver outstanding virtual service to patrons. Unique Patron Service Solutions, virtual service solved. Visit librarycalls.com to learn more and schedule your free demo. That's librarycalls.com.